Today's reading is from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and you'll find it in the Pew Bibles, page 1180. No confidence in the flesh. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble to me to write the same things to you again, and it it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I recently went to Sandown Races with some customers, and as usual, I ended up late at night in a curry house. (laughs) And I was sat next to a chap called Phil. Now, Phil was a very interesting fellow very intense, and he was certainly a candidate for my big lie. So at about midnight, I said, Phil, my wife's a priest. (laughs) At which point he responded with, I'm a Christian. Well, I was thrilled. My first declared Christian customer. (laughs) So I said, that's great. Phil, where do you go to church? And he said, oh no, I don't go to church. Ah. Um, And then he looked at me and he said, I don't really believe in God. (laughs) Right. So I said, Phil, where does Jesus fit into the grand scheme of things? And he said, well, he considered him to be a holy person, but definitely not the son of a God that he didn't believe in anyway. I was troubled. So I asked him, Phil, you seem quite happy to refer to yourself as a Christian, um, but you don't believe in God, and you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Why? And he said, well, I, I sort of get the Ten Commandments, and I know most of those, and I know the Christian values, and I try and live by those. Ergo, I am a Christian. Now, there is so much in this 
that caused me problems. But it did give me cause to consider qualification. What qualifies us to consider ourselves as Christians? And the passage we have just heard talks into the very heart of this question. Everything that I was doing, everything that I was proud of, that gave me my value, that gave me my worth, I now realise was useless, garbage, filth. That is what Paul was saying to the Philippians. I wonder what we take pride in. What are we proud of? If somebody asked me that, I would almost certainly say my children, definitely my wife, my mother, my stepfather, and I might even include the fact that I managed to go from a heavy smoker 19 stoner to running a marathon. But I'm sure, like Paul, you would all answer as pillars of the community, I boast in nothing save that which is through faith in Christ. Now, wouldn't that be amazing? How would your friends react if you answered that? But this was precisely what Paul was saying in this passage and what he felt the Philippians needed to hear. Why? We know that at this time there were tensions within the Philippian community. They were under some pressure. Some Jewish Christians were urging circumcision. Contrary to the decision made back in Acts that this would not be imposed, imposed on Gentiles. Now, I didn't realise it, but this was a really big deal. Circumcision was a really big deal at the time. And it was raised at the Council of Jerusalem, who established what became known as the Apostolic Decree. So in Acts 15, verse 19, it says... It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Not circumcision. So Paul wants to draw their minds back to Christ and not have them fixated on the ritual act of circumcision. And he did this by telling them of his own story, how he emptied himself of that secure pride so as to be with Christ. This is a perfect example of what Keir was speaking about a couple of Sundays ago, that Greek word, kenosis, the act of emptying of self-emptying one's own will and becoming entirely receptive of God's divine will. For Paul, Judaism is where his story started. But for these Philippian Gentile convert Christians, they would hardly be familiar with all the laws that governed Judaism. So we need to see Paul's shocking language where he refers to mutilating 
or destroying the flesh as an attempt to encourage them to remain content as they are, uncircumcised, and worship in the Spirit of God. Now, Paul is not necessarily attacking the Jewish Christians for advocating their belief that circumcision is somehow a badge of their membership. He just wants them to accept that Gentile converts are equally true Christians and heirs to the promises of Israel. This is why he then goes on to speak in personal terms about having to empty himself or destroy the pride and confidence he had in Jewish practice. His pride and righteousness that were once based on the law is now based solely on his faith in Christ. Now last week, Colin spoke about what we are like rather than what we do. I would like to take that baton on and ask, what do we look like and what are we really like? What are we presenting of ourselves to the world and what is truly in our hearts and minds? Now, back in April of this year, Anna Hunter was kind enough to ask us to join her for a guided tour round the Household Cavalry Barracks in Windsor. And it was a fabulous day. And at the end of this day, one lucky person got to dress up in all the gear. And I have some pictures which I am allowed to show. Can we have the first slide? So none other than our very own Graham Bonham Carter attempting to get into the tunic. You can see that he's wearing the boots, he's mastered that, but he's clearly, that was built, that was made for a smaller person, but he's, he's getting that on. So if we can have a look at the next slide. <laughs> looking much more at home and rather proud. So he has the breastplate, he's got the tunic, he's got the boots, beginning to create this picture. We then look at the next one. He needs a bit of help. So he's getting on the gloves and the sash and then the next one. Now, I always think the caption for that should read, is it meant to be under my nose? (laughs) And the other person said, well, under the chin is more traditional, sir. (laughs) But you can see almost the complete picture, just the sword remains. So if we can have a look at the last slide. There he is. Magnificent. So, the lovely Graham, looking every inch a member of the household cavalry. But appearances can be deceiving. Graham is no more a member of the household cavalry than I am a ballerina. (laughs) So like the old Paul, all the appearances were right. But deep down, he was a fake. So are we fakes or are we the real McCoy? Never Sometimes, all the time. But what is being the real McCoy? Perhaps it is simply not trusting in our own righteousness. 
In other words, not taking the credit for everything and failing to recognise the work of Christ in us and through us. Or as Paul proposes in verse 3, we boast, or we should boast, in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We should attach no righteousness to ourselves alone. Now I think this is really tough. Mankind loves to be accepted, recognised and praised. We live in a society that is judgmental and scrutinises outward appearances and gives value to them. Jesus gave the Pharisees a really hard time because apart from anything else, they made a point of performing righteous deeds in public, to look good. Dredging up my philosophy degree, Aristotle maintained that we learn moral virtue primarily through habit and practice. In other words, performing righteous acts will make us righteous by mere practice alone. So does this ring true and speak of dutifully doing the right things, born out of duty. Or, perhaps, as Paul is saying here, do we do these good things because they flow from our foundation in Christ? As Colin said last week, our living in Christ and Christ living in us. So, do we do good works to look good, like the Pharisees? Do we do good works to be good, Aristotle, or do good works flow from us as a result of our relationship with Jesus? Which is what Paul was saying. Maybe there's a little of all three. So to be truly authentic, to be the people that God made us to be, we may need to consider where our motivations and our pride sit. Are they simply an outward display of what looks right, Or do they reflect an inner beauty, an authentic relationship with Jesus? Now those of us who were at St Paul's for Debbie's consecration may remember Rowan Williams' sermon where he spoke about looking through appearances into the deep. How people, and especially the newly appointed bishops, should unveil Jesus in themselves and unveil Jesus in others. To be truly authentic, letting Jesus radiate through. So to finish, I have a short clip that demonstrates this simple concept of authenticity and Paul's claim in verse 7, whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. As soon as I found that um, Tiffany Pottery, uh, I felt it was one of the rarest things that Tiffany would uh, be making, like his artwork. He's primarily known for his fancy lamps mm-hmm. and his beautiful right. windows and, mm-hmm. and some enamels and, his, of course, his blown glass vases. Mm-hmm. Pottery was something, as you mentioned, is right. rare. It was made primarily initially for bases for his shades. 
what I look for in a piece is, stylistically, is it what the maker was known for? And there are things about this piece that are typical of some of Tiffany's work, but there are things about that aren't typical of all of Tiffany's work. Mm -hmm. For example, Tiffany was an Art Nouveau guy, mm -hmm. and this modeled floral design, this is more French Victorian than American Art Nouveau. Mm -hmm. The way this background is scored is also typical of French work from about two decades earlier. And so that struck me as odd. There are things that are Tiffany like it, this flambe glaze on the interior, the way it's dripping on the side. That is more in line with what we know of as far as what Tiffany was pursuing in his ceramic works. So then the next thing we look at is the mark, and this has everything on it. It's got the LCT, which is Louis Comfort Tiffany. It's got the Favreal Pottery. Favreal means handmade. But the mark, too, while it has all the bells and whistles of Louis Comfort Tiffany's mark, it's not the mark we normally see. And then the main thing for me is the clay itself. If we see in the foot ring, the clay is brown, and Tiffany clay was white. So I, I did get a second opinion here because it's, it's so extravagant, and it's, and it's trying to be Tiffany, but it's not. Would that be the white? That you were talking the about that he did? The white is actually a color added to this brown oh. pottery, oh. and then the mark is put over so you can see it. So it's Some, not a white base. It's not a white base. It's just white to show the mark off better. And uh, also, the mark is always incised. I've never seen an LCT painted on the bottom of the piece. It's always it's indented. It's cut, cut into in. the piece, okay. into the wet clay with wow. a sharp tool. Mm. And then the, uh, the rest of the marks are either scratched in or penciled in, not mm. painted on like that. Okay. So somebody took a lot of trouble, and I've seen a fair amount of Tiffany that was fraudulent. But it's usually another type of pottery that's similar to what Tiffany did that somebody scratched a mark into. Mm. This one's unusual because I think somebody made this from scratch and made a, a Tiffany fake piece from scratch. Mm. If somebody believed it was really Tiffany today, this would be a two or $3,000 piece of pottery. Purely for decorative value, perhaps it's worth $25. I don't think it really has retail value because of the mark on the bottom. Maybe after you scratch it off, it'll be worth something. Yeah. Well, and guess what I'm going to do to this? Scratch through it? In a way, I'm okay with the, the last person owning it and the last person that's going to change it, and I, I will destroy that little emblem on it. Uh, That's quite obvious, I think. But the Tiffany mark, the style, the glazing, the flowers, all the things that that owner considered to give the piece such value, by the end meant nothing. In fact, the Tiffany mark, because it was a forgery, actually meant the piece had no value at all. He was going to scratch it off. How often are we the real Tiffany vase and how often have we painted on the mark to look authentic? Let us pray. Dear God, thank you that you ask us to follow Jesus having removed all the obstacles. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is freely available to us all and we pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to all that you do around us, for us, in us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.